0: Jesus was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago. Why? I was still talking about it. Why does it still matter? Let that sink in. Think of all the great people who have died heroic deaths. Maybe there's a plaque, a statue... Perhaps they received a posthumous medal. Maybe there were people immediately affected that said, wow, that saved my life. That was everything I needed. Thank you. But at some point they don't matter anymore in in practical ways. Yeah, you can walk through a fantastic battlefield or, or, or a graveyard or Westminster Abbey and see all the wonderful plaques and commendations, but you don't pray to them, you don't call them Lord, you don't tell your friends about them, you don't stand up and tell stories like what Ed and Susie so eloquently did, why does it still so matter? That's, that's the question I ask, that's what brings us here together today, and, and the answer would be this, because nothing like it has ever occurred, and I don't say that lightly, I don't, I'm not just saying that in the comfort of a congregation as a pastor behind a pulpit. Think about it. who, Who is, who is, who is the equivalent of Jesus? Who lived, lived very publicly, was horribly tortured, crucified by professional executioners, certified dead, buried... And then rose again from the grave. In a way that was so compelling that people said, I will follow you anywhere. Who? If you read Joseph Campbell, a hero with a thousand faces. You'll talk about, apparently all these people have done this. Who? Uh, I've, I've gone on that quest trying to figure out, who are they talking about? When people say, oh, lots of people did that. Really? Where are they? I mean, people believe in people. They say, I believe in the teachings of this person or the example of that person, but nobody says, and they walk with me and they talk with me. I pray to them. It's a conundrum, don't you think? And for those of us who grew up skeptical, I, uh, I, I too grew up Catholic, uh, went to Catholic school and, 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 and Protestant, uh, You know, so I could be a referee for professional fights. I'm telling you, I, I know uh, how that one can go uh, having that argument, Catholic or Protestant, but neither of my folks, though they tried their best, were were followers of Christ, and they wouldn't say, you know, Christ is a solution to our conflict. Uh, for a kid observing it, I'd say, oh my gosh, Christ is the source of your conflict, and therefore it's irrelevant to how I want to live my life. But when you actually meet Christ, you can't do that anymore. He meets us at a point of skepticism. And if we're honest and open, he convinces us who he is. And that's a conundrum for me. Because more importantly, that, that this happened, this happening being his life, his perfect life, his tragic death on the cross, and apparently his resurrection from the dead. Not resuscitation, but resurrection. It's not that that I want to talk about today. Uh, you, that's fully documented. If you have any questions about the veracity of the resurrection, could it have happened, did it happen, How did it happen? It is so carefully documented. But you know what? Just because it's it's certified as a credible fact in history, a marker that we still organize time around, doesn't mean you have to actually believe it, right? So here's what I want to talk about in the time we have. In the two and a half hours we have left today, I'd like to simply talk about the events following his resurrection that convinced me and I'm not going to talk about all the events but it's the events following his resurrection that ultimately convinces me the crucifixion definitely got my attention Uh, as Susie said it's the most horrific uh, evil genius invention of humankind to to thoroughly and totally create as much and maximize suffering for people on the way to killing them as one can imagine Uh, so that got my attention why? why would he do that? Why was he so dangerous that somebody felt that that had to happen? And then the resurrection, shocking to me, when I finally started looking at it carefully and, and critically, not critically as in negatively, but, but instead of just writing it off as, as, as foolishness, uh, myth, I thought, okay, I'm so tired of people trying to tell me about it, I'm going to look at it critically. I was shocked by what I saw. So at that point, I said, all right, uh, there's a good case for the resurrection. And again, I had that, well, so what? attitude? Not in a haughty way, but what's the big impact of that? There's lots of people I know who call themselves Christians. By that point, as a a world-weary, know-it-all 17-year-old, I had concluded that I've seen enough, heard enough, I didn't need it. And all these people who call themselves Christians, none of them seemed to operate based on, but for Jesus, I wouldn't have an identity. Certainly none of the people I knew who call themselves Christians, and I came to understand, they're good people, cultural Christians. They had appropriated a cultural identity called Christians. And it's like having an inoculation, just enough so you don't get the real thing. And again, I was one of those, you know, baptized as a kid and the whole deal. And so, uh, what was compelling to me was what happened after the events following the resurrection. When I, I kept reading in the Bible, having read the Gospels, I thought, "Okay, what happens next?" As I started reading the Book of Acts and the rest of it, I thought, "This is shocking." these people have lost their minds or possibly they've come into the right mind because they're doing things that are, are inexplainable based on what happened before Jesus' death and resurrection. Because these guys like Peter and others who were so close with him, so tight with him, at the, at the very key moment he needed them, denied him, abandoned him, ran and hid as he was crucified and buried. And when he was initially reported to be have, have risen from the dead... They didn't believe, the people who told them. Until finally Jesus appears to them. And, and, and so what we see here, that Jesus was transformed. He appeared to them not as this beat up, emaciated person who's limped out of this tragic wreck called the crucifixion. Because maybe I, that could have been it, I thought. Maybe, you know, you've heard these stories of people being shot numerous times and taking shrapnel hits. And they're still firing the machine gun to defend the, the platoon. Maybe it was that kind of a thing but those people usually get congressional medals of honor. They don't walk away and say, follow me, you know? Keep up with me if you can. Because when Jesus appeared to them, he was transformed. He was him, but he was more. He wasn't a hovering, spirity kind of a thing. He was substantial. It was somehow more of him. And at this point, as I was reading this as a 17-year-old, words failed me to describe how this could be. And then I started seeing what the people who accepted this as true started doing. And they weren't doing it like crazy people. They were doing it like focused people, alive people, convinced people, inspired people. And the things they weren't doing weren't about throwing the first century equivalent of a Molotov cocktail at the Romans or something. They were doing these completely radical things. They were raising up the sick, having prayed for them. They were feeding the hungry. They were reaching out for the people that everybody pushed aside and walked past. They started doing things that were radical in the ultimate sense of the word. It went to the root of who they were and everything was different about them. We see that Jesus appeared to groups of people in various settings. He walked and talked. And the more he did this, people were saying, it's him, but it's more of him. Yeah, it was the resurrected him. The the, the, the first fruit, so to speak, of what will happen to us as in Christ, we too will be resurrected one day. He ate with his disciples in Jerusalem. At one point, he walked into a room. How he got there, I don't know. Apparently, he just walks in through a wall or something. But he's substantial, and yet he somehow shows up. They're they're taken back, and they've been telling the guys in the room had been telling Thomas, one of the disciples, about all that was happening. He said, "Yeah, you guys, no way." And when Jesus walks through the room, basically Thomas says, "Wait." And Jesus says, Thomas, touch me. Put your finger in my side. Touch my hands. See my hands. And what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. Changed everything. And Jesus said to Thomas, You believe me because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe even though they do not see. But they did see, so to speak. They didn't get to see him like Thomas did, but what they got to see was Thomas. He didn't get to see the, the, the knuckleheads who had well-intentioned swore to him the night before he died, nobody will get between you and me. I will be there for you. You can count on it. And when the rooster crowed, Jesus looks at Peter. It was that Peter who said, I'm willing to, to not only live with you and for you, but to die for you. There's a huge transformation, right? He claimed authority. Jesus claimed authority in heaven and on earth and gave them a new commission. So it wasn't just his wimpy emaciated, beat up you know, bag of bones that had been put together and patched up it was Jesus transformed and resurrected that compelled them to not only believe him but to embrace him and he gave them a new commission, he said go under my authority my authority in heaven and on earth and teach everybody you encounter what I've taught you and as they respond to my grace baptize them Make them part of this expanding family, this fellowship of faith. And I will be with you. So 40 days following his resurrection, then Jesus ascends into heaven and promises to return. And he says, wait in Jerusalem. You'll receive uh, an outpouring of of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to send to you. And and sure enough, that happened at at a moment called Pentecost. And we'll talk about that later this spring. And everything has been different because of that. That's why this moment that we celebrate today still matters. It keeps mattering. Even when people get culturally tired of living the superficial version, somebody somewhere, some 17-year-old kid lying in bed will say, hey, if it's real, I'm, I'm open to that. And they'll wake up the next day and say, everything is different. Why? And, and, and kids like that kid. We'll go to churches that have kind of written Jesus off as just, well, that was an interesting thing, but let's not get carried away with it. And kids like that keep coming into churches saying, you know what, it's real, what are we doing about it? And the church keeps coming back to life. Resurrected, so to speak, as people embrace Christ and start to walk with Him. And it's, it's like waking up from a dream. It's like being born again. It's like becoming more alive and more aware than you've ever been. You take yourself at your best. Think, in, 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 as long as you've lived... Pick that time in your life when you were most alive, in best shape, could do anything, felt invincible, immortal. That day isn't even a blip on the new you that Christ wants to create. That doesn't even qualify. As much as you felt alive and have felt in control and empowered in your life, you don't even know what life is yet until you've received him. Because you're doing a really great job of being a human being. But God wants to do a really great job at being God in you. Which will transform you. Now some deny him. Some ignore him. Some disparage him. Some, some use him for their own purposes. That a lot of people talk a lot about Jesus. But when you line it up with what you see about Jesus in his word, it doesn't really look or sound convincing. Because again, we see what Jesus did. and We heard what Jesus said. And whenever we compare it to that, we say, that's authentic. You see, the life that he made for us to live is not so that people say, you are so impressive. You are amazing. What, what, what he wants to do in us is create a life in us that when somebody gets to know us, they go, you know what? I've been with you for a while, and this does not make sense apart from Jesus. As our friend Scott Schimmel said a few weeks ago, you are not that awesome. But it's okay because he is. So many are attracted and convinced and committed and transformed by him as they open their hearts and their minds to him. As they think critically about these obstacles, really, God came into the world? Why isn't everybody talking about it if he did? Well, they are. Well, if God was God and God came into the world, why isn't everybody following him? A lot of people are. so when it happens when these people of whatever age or stage in life say okay I'm opening my heart my mind to you I want to learn to live from you if you're the source of life and you've even defeated the grave I want to learn from you I can learn from you what happens again like Thomas they say my lord and my god and there's a noticeable shift in their outlook in their demeanor, in their bearing there's a noticeable sense of freedom that's what I felt as that 17 year old kid Like my circumstances hadn't changed. But it seems like I I had a new set of eyes for seeing me, seeing the world around me, and recognizing God was in it. It changed everything. I started to ask different questions about what I should do, about how I should behave, how I should treat people, what I should consider important. I didn't become more religious. I became more alive. I love seeing those cardboard testimonies you know when somebody writes it on, on a card and it says lost and then you flip it and it says found you know hopeless filled with hope You know, anxious and angry loved and at peace I love that I love hearing the stories of God's grace Ed and Susie I love it in, in our life groups, these groups that we create for people to walk together in Christ and to, to share the journey and to read scripture and learn from him together and to, to ask questions and, and figure out the implications of this thing. And as they tell their story, it's never a, can you top this story? It's always about, yeah, isn't he great? Here's another example of how, how how great he is. He's powerfully inspiring. And so we see that in Christ, everyone has a before and an after. Everyone has a before and an after, a past and a present What's yours? What's yours? What's the story that you would tell, even maybe growing up in a wonderful home, a God-honoring home, but at some point you had to own it for yourself, you'd say, you know what, I grew up with a lot of love and support. I started asking questions, and and, and as I followed looking for the answer, I met Christ. That's your before. Some people who've grown up in wonderful homes feel like they don't have a testimony. They don't feel like they have a before. They go, you know, kind of a boring thing. I grew up in a wonderful home, didn't do anything wrong that's it any questions you know no no it's awesome right I grew up in a home where my mom and dad took. You know, if they're telling this story they, they prayed for me they, they helped me understand what it meant to know God they corrected me they loved me they prepared me they were patient with me and you know over time I realized it wasn't their faith it was mine And and he's my Lord and my Savior. And I thank my family for it. But I've come to understand him in ways. and, And I've become very sensitive about the fact that I wasn't so perfect after all. See, that's a testimony, right? And this is what happens. We all discover that we have a before and an after. A past and a present. We all love a second act, don't we? A second chance. A comeback. A strong finish. We see in the narrative of God's word, the Bible, that he is about restoring what we're meant to be he's about writing us back into the plot of the narrative in a way that's meaningful not just incidental or non-essential the bible is filled with examples of this here are a few job had a second act joseph was forsaken then found moses received a second chance samson fumbled but finished strong daniel walked out of the lion's den Israel came back from captivity. Nehemiah went from cup bearer to kingdom builder. And then, in an order of magnitude beyond these, God raised Jesus from the dead. This is why it's the finale, the big big setup of what will become a new heaven and a new earth. All of it fulfilled in Christ, brought to fruition in Christ. And so, in Christ, we become part of this new creation a new heaven and a new earth. It seems like not much is happening, but everything has changed. You know how it is when you read a book or you you go to a play or you watch a movie and all this stuff is happening. The characters are developed, the plot thickens, the conflict emerges, and you think, oh no, oh my gosh, how are they going to resolve this? And at the point that they resolve it, there's still time left in the movie because what they do is they show you how it's resolved, but ultimately they show where it goes. They show you where it takes you. And this is where we are. Everything is different. Everything is new. The story has been reconciled. The end is in sight. And now we're living the remaining part of it in this new authority of Christ among us through His Spirit. Guided by His Word and the company of His people. This is the power of what we're experiencing that culminates in Jesus' death and resurrection and will be be fulfilled when He returns again in glory. In the meantime, we, we get to live this out. We get to see the the further development of who we are as people in him. And so one of the people who had a second chance and a fresh start was Peter. And here's how Peter described it years after Jesus' resurrection. He's writing to these new crop of believers. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We have a living hope. You know what that says to me? It says that even the cross of Christ has a before and an after. Think of what, what, what Susie said about the horrific nature of the cross, an instrument of shame and degradation, humiliation, profound suffering, and death. And because that's such a beautiful image, we wear them on us. No. The reason we wear them The reason reason we put them up and and, and not revere them or worship them, but we we take that as a reminder of who we are in Christ, that becomes a symbol of hope. The presence of God in this world, the fact that for you, being the only one who needed him, he would have come for you. See, even the cross has an after. Now it reminds us the debt has been paid in full. The Lord has honored his promises, he's fulfilled his commitments. Nothing and no one can separate us from his love. This is a revolution that's breaking the chains that bind people to the enemy. And the enemy is not other people or ideologies. The enemy is Satan who wants to rob us of our God-given identity in Christ. Beautiful words, right? Well, most importantly, they're true words. See, this movement of God's spirit, this revolution of God's love in this world is based on truth. That's why the grace he gives us is credible. It's credible because it's true. That's why his love is dependable, because it's true. Anchored in truth, we live in grace and we walk in love. And so in, in, in whom or what are you putting your hope? What are you putting your present and future identity into? Is it luck? Is it fate? Is it fear? Is it ambition? Is it your skill, your connections? Or is it the Lord? Because I can tell you, you can imagine what I'll tell you, that only one of those goes the distance. The Lord. The only the Lord can take us where he wants us to go. So we gather today in the belief that Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world. Now, that's not an empty boast, and it's not a boast at all. It's simply a declaration that if you have any doubt, remember, he, <laughs> he came for us. He died for us. He rose again from the grave for us. He ascended into heaven for us. He gave the Holy Spirit for us. He has inspired people to document it in his word for us. He'll return again in glory for us. He's creating a new heaven and a new earth for us. Who else qualifies? Now, I have genuine respect for other views and I care for the people holding them. But I don't see people as categories. I see people as unique, unrepeatable miracles of God's handiwork, and until they know His grace, they are like lost children. They are loved, but they are lost. They can be smart, smarter than any of us here. If you're lost and you're smart, you're lost right? If you're beautiful and you're lost, you are lost. If you're a billionaire and you're lost, it does not matter. They don't take any cards where you're lost. Nobody cares who you are when you're lost. You're lost. That's the point. And so when I talk to people about Christ, I'm not trying to talk them in or out of something. I'm trying to help them understand that God is calling them and inviting them on an adventure with him. Because if I can talk somebody into something, somebody else can talk them out of it. But if they are willing to open their heart and their mind to God and give any energy to that in the way, same way they'd give to their career or their hobby, their passions, or their, or their addictions, they'll be shocked to find that God is calling them on an adventure that is transformational. And then they're going to come back to me and go, Steve, you don't even understand this. I love it when that happens. People come back to me and go, you don't even know. I know, tell me, tell me. Instruct me, enlighten me, inspire me. Did you know the Bible says this? Uh, well, yeah, and before you have a chance to say yes, they go, and another thing. And you go, this, this person's off to the races. Now, instead of me saying, you should believe this, I'm saying, hey, pace yourself. Whoa, whoa, pace yourself, right? Have you experienced that? This is what happens when you put your hope in Christ. And that's why, since Jesus lives, I press the case that faith in Christ is better than non-faith or Better than faith in someone else or something else. What what else? And who else could be more worthy of of your faith? Plus, if I put my faith in a person, I put a burden on them that that isn't right. Why would I expect perfection of of anyone or anything other than God? Why expect perfection of anyone or anything in that the perfection belongs alone to God? We overburden people. We crush our marriages. We crush our families. We crush our expectations of friendships because we want them to be what only... God can be but as we go toward Christ we start to receive our families as a precious gift our our marriage as a precious gift requiring nurture our children our friendships our gifts not to be used and abused Our, our skills our talents our passions our ambitions they all become harnessed by the living transformational presence of Christ they become what they're meant to be and all of a sudden you go everything is being redeemed so put your faith in Christ rather than putting faith in something of someone else. Well, here's why. These disciples were changed by embracing Jesus' resurrection, not just acknowledging it. Remember, they were crushed. They were dispirited. They were discouraged. They were fearful. Oh, no, they might come and get us next. And even when they heard that he had been raised from the dead, at first they were so skeptical. To me, it was one of the hallmarks when I read the Bible that there's something true going on here. They're letting me see all the ugly stuff in this at the same time as all the beautiful stuff. And so they just didn't believe it in the sense of passively acknowledging it. They embraced it. Jesus walks in that room, they embrace him. Jesus gives them a command, they follow it. He reconciles them to himself. He reconciles them to one another. And he commissions them to make a difference in the world in his name. So by faith in Jesus, they received salvation. Not just forgiven for past sins, the salvation of God, the empowering presence of God that allows them to embrace their calling and to live confidently and fully, knowing that even as they stumble and fail going forward, he is with them and will pick them up and keep them going. The salvation is a gift and grace of God in Christ. So Peter and all the others were reconciled to Christ. How about you? Are you being reconciled to Christ? You might say, well, I'm a believer. Yes, but are you being reconciled to Christ? If it's a past tense, I became a Christian, I, I'm a believer. But, but today, are you being reconciled to him? Are you wrestling with bitterness today? Then be reconciled to him today. Are you, are you, are you wrestling with apathy about your faith? Are you kind of at a plateau where your faith is totally boring to you right now? If God seems far away, guess who moved? So maybe you need to be reconciled to the fact that you've been so busy being Jesus' favorite little helper that you've stopped paying attention to Jesus. Maybe you've gotten distracted. That's okay. Come back to him. So today, each of us stands in the presence of the resurrected Jesus, and he looks at each one of us, whether we believe in him or don't. Are you going to walk with me today? Are we in a relationship with each other? How we respond to him matters. We need to believe in him, embrace him, live in him. It changes the way we see everyone and everything. Imagine you're in a in a city. You have to stop there for a brief period of time uh, for business or it's in between something else you're doing on a trip. And you're in a sketchy part of town, but you're going to want to go for a walk and see so you're out walking and you realize you're a little bit turned around. You're not quite sure where you are now. And it, it's not that many people. It's very dark. It's getting late. And you're kind of service and I'm lost in this town and all of a sudden you see some guys coming around the corner and they're big and they don't look like you they look a little scary and they're looking at you now and they're walking a little faster and you're going like this "Uh, I don't want to look scared, I don't want to look scared I don't want to look scared and they say hey you live around here no. What are you doing? Uh, just out for a walk. How about you? We don't live around here either. We're looking for a Bible study. <laughs> Somebody told us there's a Bible study down here. You know where it is? No, <clears throat> no, I don't, but uh, I'll help you find one. Uh, you know, so. What would you be thinking? You'd be thinking, you know what? I want to be around people who have a before and an after I want to be around people who now look at life not as anything stereotypical they look at life as a search to do what God wants them to do and what would have been scary for you unnerving for you, uncomfortable for you all of a sudden you go, these are my people these are my people And these are people who are filled with life and all of a sudden in a dark place their presence lightens it up in a scary place, their presence gives me comfort And though I'm not sure what to do in their presence, I know I'm going to find my way. All this is possible because Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Lord Jesus, because you've risen, we live. And because we live in you, we thrive. And because we thrive in you, we're able to walk with you in newness and fullness of life. We can learn to suffer in redemptive ways. We can learn to sacrifice in redemptive ways. We can learn to experience success in redemptive ways because we are part of your transforming work in this world. For that, we give you honor and glory and praise as you break the chains that bind us, that hold us back from this life to which you call each one of us in Jesus' name.